Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 22nd, and you're listening to the best poker podcast in the world. I'm Scott Long. Chris Casenza's not here, and we're all excited about that. <laughs> Yay, no Chris. <laughs> uh, sorry for the delay this week. We are aboard, well, all of us except for Chris, are aboard the Liberty of the Seas for the Antia Poker Cruise this week. This is our last day, so it's been fun at sea. Joining me today is uh, Ramsey Solomon, our poker room manager for the last 47 years, <laughs> and Elliot Schechter, director of poker at Hollywood Casino Toledo, who's been doing our Call the Floor segments. So welcome, guys. Hey, good to be here. All right, well, we're not going to waste your time talking about the cruise too much because we know how boring those shows are, but uh, but it's been a good seven days. We've had a small group here, but a fun group. They've been uh, in here all night playing, or all week playing, which is good. Um, and uh, we are looking forward to our next cruise, December 11th. Depending on when you hear this, you've got a day or two or less to sign up for that at our rate of three ninety-seven per person. We will not be able to get you that rate after that. So do call um, Jeannie and get booked, and you can go to antiupcruises.com to get all the info on that, as well as all of our other cruises, including the two new ones that we added, which is our second cruise to Cuba in July, and of course that's uh, Ramsey's favorite cruise, because that's where he lives now. So yeah, excited to do another one. We're, we're very excited because uh, Ramsey went from Havana in one day to Tampa in the next day, and then Galveston the next day. And then lost to me in Chinese poker the next day. So, <laughs> congratulations! You're the new FEMA director. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm on the FEMA tour, and, ne- <laughs> and next month I actually have a flight booked to Mexico City. So, basically, my new job is to just uh, survey natural disaster locations. I guess <laughs> none of it intentional. Oh man! Uh, but Ellie uh, and I had a great uh, tour. We went in the Costa Maya. It's really hard for me to find a port stop that I haven't been to, and that's that's one that I haven't been to last time. And Annie approves the book there. We got uh, canceled because of weather, but uh, we did this amazing water park. Oh, it was incredible. And uh, that's just a water zip park. Zip lines, nine yeah. water slides, a zip coaster. A zip coaster. So if you think about this, it's actually a roller coaster, except you're not in a car. You're actually on a zip line. So that was pretty cool. Was and, of course, it ends in the water, too, because it's a water park. But uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Ramsey and others went off to a, a very nice all-inclusive resort uh, that had nothing included. <laughs> Yeah, Except the stench. That ended at the port. <laughs> uh, but the day before, we all went to an all-inclusive resort as well, too, in uh, Rollatown. That was actually the highlight of the trip for, for some folks that didn't go on the zip lines. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, yesterday we were in Cosmo, which is always fun. Uh, great, great food there. And uh, my fish pedicure. 
the traditional fish pedicure. And, and getting my old style light in Cosmo, Mexico, of all places, because I can't get it in Tampa, Florida. So uh-huh. <laughs> managed to put some guppies on those puppies. Guppies <laughs> on the puppies. Uh, all right, so um, I, I, what we thought would be more fun than just yapping about the cruise for 30 minutes, um, since we've pretty much wrapped up what we could talk about the cruise. Uh, oh, and by the way, just to mention, we are at the final table of our main event here, so uh, one or both of our guests here may have to get up to make floor calls, which is what we're going to be talking about here. So since both of you are, are very experienced in, in the industry, um, obviously Elliot's been doing our call the floor um, column for quite a while, where MC's been making calls on the ship. Uh, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of talk about what goes into making calls, and hopefully you guys have some fun stories from your background. So uh, why don't we start with just filling in everybody on, on your background. So, Elliot, do you want to start? How do you got started, and where have you been? And uh, Sure. How you've ended up in the mit- metro top? <laughs> I do end up at the, top, me- the metro- top of this pyramid. <laughs> in lovely Toledo, Ohio. Beautiful, metropolitan, sophisticated Toledo, Ohio, <laughs> as I always refer to it now. I've been there for a couple of years. I started uh, almost 25 years ago back on the old uh, uh, casino day cruisers out of South Florida. I was on the original Discovery, which was probably the first shipboard poker room down there. Uh, Moved on to the Palm Beach Princess up in West Palm Beach and stayed there for almost 10 years. Uh, From there, the state of Florida made the transition into poker. They finally opened up $2 poker rooms at uh, all of the the tracks. Well, remember those days. That was before the, even the $5 days. <laughs> uh, that's when I hightailed it to, uh, to Reno to work at the, the Hilton, which is now the Grand Sierra. Uh, from there, I uh, hopped to, to the Palms in Las Vegas for a few years, probably at the height. When I was at the Palms, that's when uh, Team Poker Stars was uh, basing themselves at the Palms. Oh, the yeah. World Series. The good Palms. It was the very good Palms. We had Playboy Club running. Yeah. Fun place to work. Uh and from there, the uh, the downturn, which hit in Las Vegas before anywhere else in the country, yeah. uh, gave me the cue to leave. <laughs> offered an opportunity to open a casino in uh, northwest, uh, northeast Oklahoma, a downstream casino resort. And that's where I met you. Absolutely. Those were good times. I begged uh, a lot of people to come with me. They, I live in Las Vegas. I'm not moving to Oklahoma. <laughs> it's like, are you sure? Things aren't getting any better. And because this is a disaster-themed podcast here, <laughs> I think the one of the first or second times I met you was right after those horrible tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri, the, right across the... The F5 tornado of May of 2011. Remember you drive me through there, and it was just... I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, a town with less than 60,000 people managed to lose over a third of its population because they all moved away and weren't, didn't rebuild. No. Uh, inspired me to move to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Where I was at Snoqualmie for the four years previous to my, uh, my current gig in Toledo. Uh, so it's been a good long run. It's been interesting. You, you certainly have met all types and have had to make uh, different kinds of decisions. Uh, I certainly try to base everything on common sense. Sure. Uh, I try not to read people's minds. And in fact, I've always been inspired by one expression. If you put me in a spot where I have to read your mind... You cannot win. <laughs> uh, it's not my job. Like the 2000 election, I've got to put the, uh, the ballot up to the light and see which way the chat is hanging. No, that's just not my job. I'm <laughs> never going to do it. Get out of my face, please. But in the most friendly way possible. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Ramsey, you've been on the show 100 times, but I'm not sure we've actually ever gone through your career. Uh, my illustrious career. And I love how you started at uh, Commerce, right? Dealing yeah. tan. 
I started as a pan dealer at the Commerce, <laughs> Commerce Casino. And tell people what pan is, because I don't think they've heard pan on the show for oh. seven Did all the old seven years. know you were Palestinian? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so pan, for those of you who don't know, is a very weird concoction of gin and screaming old Jewish ladies. <laughs> and it was a dying game 20-some years ago when I got into it. I don't think there's very many pan games left in the world right now. So my break-in was uh, dealing, you know, it was the largest pan room in the world at that point in commerce. was maybe 20 tables. And it was literally eight old ladies with plucking pencils to reach the deck. Um, and you've never heard, this is the complaint Olympics. This is, <laughs> this is gold medal level complaining 24-7. didn't matter, winning, losing, whatever it was. So when poker finally, you know, when I got a chance to move to the poker department of commerce, I went happily. And I didn't even notice poker players complaining for the first couple of years until I, you know, had recovered from the PTSD of Pan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I started my poker career at Commerce. I DC'd uh, for a while there and then um, mistakenly took a poker manager in Louisiana for eight very long months. Um, and then a friend of mine told me that they were building this uh, mega casino in Vegas called the Bellagio. It's supposed to be, you know, nice, and all the rumors were, you know, like Saddam Hussein's palace with gold plated <laughs> toilets and everything else. And I said, well, you didn't have to sell me that hard. I'm leaving Louisiana at this point. So uh, I opened Bellagio in uh, 1998. Uh, dealer, four person, shift manager, and then reverse in that order because <laughs> I did not want to uh, to do that. So anyway, I was a Bellagio for 10 years. Uh, retired from poker for a while. Somewhere in the middle of those 10 years, I started doing poker cruises. I've been doing poker cruises since 2005. And then uh, a few years ago... Um, because I missed uh, Mr. Wynn. <laughs> uh, Wynn in Las Vegas gave me the opportunity to pretty much come and go as I wanted to and uh, work when I was in town when I was still in Vegas. And they were very, very sweet of them and very, very well-run room and uh, obviously a very beautiful place. So off and on there for a few years uh, just during tournaments. And now for this last year, I've been out of poker pretty much all together outside of these cruises. Uh, long commute from Cuba, so it uh, <laughs> wasn't going to happen. But, yeah, I've done about, uh, about 150 cruises. All said and done, uh, did them for everybody from um, Annie Up and Fire Player and um, with Ladbrokes and I don't know for a while there was poker at sea. I was I was doing it, so uh, it's been fun. Been fun doing it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cruised out, but the poker the poker part of it's still fun to do with people. But and of course, uh, folks that listen to the show know uh, know what you do down in Cuba. But why don't you give a plug to um, your great operation there for folks that yeah. want to go? So down I've been in Cuba for seven years. I moved down there officially this year. Two hundred Annie. <laughs> six, six and twelve. Yes, sir. Levels up if you're at home. Levels up, yeah. If you guys are playing along at home, <laughs> time to kick it up. So uh, yeah, I started a couple years ago. I started a tour company in Cuba, uh, thecigarlover.com, called VIP Cuba Tours. And uh, basically, I help Americans go down to Cuba and see it, you know, the way it is now before it changes. Wrote a couple books, uh, Havana for Americans, which is on Amazon. And then the second book was uh, Top 100 Places to Eat in Havana. So, uh, yeah, as of June this year, I, I finally moved down there. I had enough business to justify be, being there full time. Uh, bought a house and started the 12-year process of remodeling that house, which is never going to end. And for those of you who want to hear that rant weekly, you can go to my podcast, Havana for Americans. Uh, find it on iTunes. Um, so, yeah, there's a weekly rant of me uh, talking about why you shouldn't never buy a house in a third world country that moves slow. But it's fun. It's uh, almost done, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. It's been a good learning experience, and it 
finally came into play when we finally did our poker cruise there, first ever poker cruise to Cuba. And it was great being able to show the 100 plus people that were with us, uh, you know, Cuba the way I see it and with a little bit of experience and lead them to great restaurants and great things to see and uh, got a lot of great feedback. Everybody was very happy and pleased. So it was uh, very rewarding. And uh, remember, July 28th will be our next uh, cruise to Cuba. So put that on your calendar and uh, book today. Yeah. Uh, and now, Elliot, you also have dealt on other cruises besides Annie Up, right? Yes. You were back in the uh, oh, classic, the classic, poker. classic poker days, right? Yes. Uh, from 2002 up into uh, shoot about 2010. It was a good long run. Uh, mostly dealt on those cruises. The last uh, several years, I was on Classic. I was the uh, Carter manager slash swingship manager. Now, as much as we had all like uh, cruising to be uh, the way it used to be, uh, I, I'm, I'm always interested. I always think it's interesting when we have people come on our cruises, and they they were on those cruises back in the day, as we mm -hmm. call it, um, when online poker fueled those. So there were two, funny. three, four hundred people on board, and and that's just not the case anymore. <laughs> and we were the poker room that uh, time forgot. We didn't. We were still doing limit poker well into the late 2000s. We didn't transition to no limit games until 2008, 2009. Wow. No, yeah. It was still limit poker Missed way up days. until then. And yeah. consistent. I mean, 4, 8, 10, 20, 20, 40. Every cruise. Uh-huh. I mean, it was, yeah. It was almost like playing poker in a time capsule. <laughs> uh, now, as a director of poker, I'm, I'm interested, because we've always talked about this on the show. Why can't people get back into limit poker? Because isn't it a better game? It's certainly for better. most players, and it's, it's certainly a better game for the house. Right? Uh, yes, it, it's the classic uh, uh, no-lose, everybody-win scenario. Uh, for the players, uh, most of the limit games were certainly small enough that very few people could actually go broke. I mean, you may not have a winning session for weeks, but you still can afford to play. Right. And no limit, that's just not happening. Uh, you lose a few buy-ins and no limit, you're done. Yeah. Uh, and again, from the house's perspective, your players don't go broke. But the games are much faster. It's limit poker. There's no decision. It's your turn. It's your turn now. Right. <laughs> Whereas in limit poker, everybody's tanking. And for good reason. I mean, any bet can certainly either cause your chips to be in jeopardy or for your pump to bet all his chips and, and put you in jeopardy. So either way, people are taking their time, and I can't blame them. So we're certainly getting less hands out per hour, which is producing less revenue. Our player turnover is much higher because our, our burn rate through our players is much higher. We're sure. going through many more of them to keep our seats filled. Yeah, you used to be able to play on an evening. I mean, if you were going to go play a 3-6 limit at, mm -hmm. at your local casino, you could take two 300 hours with you and go, no matter what happens tonight, right. I'm going to play all night. I'm going to exactly. have a good time. Now you can sit down with 300 and one 3 no limit game, get your aces snapped in two minutes, and you have to go home. I mean, that's mm -hmm. it. You, you you know, Or dig in deeper, which is exactly what we were just talking about. Right. So it definitely took the, you know, being able to just go comfortably play out of the, out of the equation. Completely. And a lot of the money is obviously being soaked up uh, by the decent players from whom you're not getting it back, where at least the limit, there was enough variation in the game that it was definitely moving around the table in a much more fair manner. Right. So any chance that we'll ever get this limit back? No, because now there's the psychological aspect. Um, men especially, especially in the flyover states, are made to feel less of a man if they play limit over no limit, mm. which that's pretty hard to overcome because there was already enough machismo at the, uh, yeah. <laughs> at the poker table. Now we put it, uh, put it on steroids. And, and with greater risk comes greater, you know, thrills of it. And it is understandable how and no limit. It, 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 limit seems boring. 
because you know once you're making the hundred dollar bets, whether you can afford them or not, there is an adrenaline to it. There is sure. an adrenaline to being all in. There is this rush of having big sessions where you won so much more than you could have. So now it's hard to go back to well, it's three dollars to call. Three dollars seems like punishment at this point. It's three to call. Well, it'll be six next time. You know, uh, I could see why it's hard to go back. I was a late uh, converter. I, I held on the limit as long as I possibly could. And but even myself. Who was probably as late of a converter as you can be? I couldn't go back. It's tough. It, it is because once you get that taste of you know betting bigger, there is there is more skill and no limit. Uh, you know, limit was very mathematical. I mean, you could be really good at math and just figure it out. No limit has a lot more complexities to it. So sure. I think once you learn all those things, it's hard to go backwards. It's just you know it is what it is. And at the same time, gives into most players' worst inner demons. At limit, certainly there were a lot of different limits being played. And people would gravitate up to either find excitement or find a, a game that they could extract more money out of. But most of the good players would find the biggest game they could afford. If they were the average 10-20 player and found they were winning way consistently, they'd move up to 15-30 and start beating that to that. And, and, and they capped out at 15-30. That was the biggest game they could afford to play. Right. Whereas the action junkies would play the smallest game they couldn't afford to play. <laughs> Let's see, I, I'm rolled up to 15-30. That 30-60 that game... Yeah, that's probably way beyond the edge of my bankroll, but geez, it's bigger than 1530. Let's see what happens. They can't afford that game, but it's the smallest game they can't afford. Right. That's what they would end up playing, and, and those players would still go slowly broke as opposed to broke rapidly. Instant. All right. Um, so let's talk about uh, how tournaments have changed over the years, too, back when you guys started to where they are now. And I think most people kind of, I don't know if the word's right, blame uh, Venetian Venetian. for bringing I'd the deep stack. Blame them. <laughs> the deep stack concept. Before the Venetian uh, put out tournaments, you could go to any major tournament series, including the World Series or any of the Commerce or Bikes uh, tournament series, and there were actual five-unit red tournament chips in play. Wow. We're done. Not anymore. We haven't seen a red tournament chip in forever. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, not to defend the Venetians, what, what they did, because I get why they did it. Somebody else would have done it. Sure. If not them, somebody else was going to do this. Sure. Damn right. The field got really crowded really fast, and you had to differentiate yourself. And I get that. You know, this is like everybody selling hot dogs for a dollar and somebody going two for one. And it's like, no. oh, you've ruined it. Now we're a race for the hot dog bottom, which was already there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get, you know, they had to, maybe they didn't have to do it, but it was going to get done. The, the problem with it is, is people are not intelligently looking at what's happening anymore. Venetian at least tried to start off doing it intelligently. This is not the case going forward. Now it's just an astronomical amount of chips, and, and it doesn't matter. The levels move up in a way, or the the time of it, and then the, you know, it doesn't matter how many chips they give you, folks. I can give you a million of chips and get a tournament done three, in two hours if right. I need, if I wanted to, and it's just silly. It, it makes it harder to as the tournaments get in late and into the field. It's like he bet one point eight million. This should not be a case. <laughs> exactly. just, you know, maybe in the main event, of course, of uh, the World Series, but. In an eighty-dollar weekly tournament, nobody should be betting one point eight million. It doesn't make sense. I don't know. It's just it slows it down, and you can't win because with tournament players, you will get a complaint either way. Mm -hmm. If the tournament goes too fast, they didn't get enough play. We need more chips. Uh, you know, place X across the street gives us triple the, the amount of chips. If the tournament goes too long, everybody's complaining about when's this thing going to wrap up? I, I didn't want to put in eighteen hours to you know not to bubble. Yeah, and so, I get those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see both sides. Dual complaints. Almost every tournament series every tournament. I've run for the past uh, nine years. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no amount of time. Right, you kick it chips. off. Yeah. This is all the chips we get? Yeah. Oh, what? Only 70-minute levels? What's going on? And then at the end, it's like, oh, my, I've got to get back to work this week. When's this thing going to end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no win. There's no win because there's people who don't want to be there for 
or can't physically be there for 18, 19 hours to, you know, go 5 a.m. final table. Right. And there's people who, you know, I get it also, don't want to just drive down for a tournament and be blinded out within the first hour and a half because there's never enough chips. So it's very hard ha finding a happy medium. And then when you do, you know, rakes have gotten higher. It's got it's gotten tough. It's gotten tough. And there's so many tournaments that it's hard to predict any kind of a field anymore. Uh, so knowing that that can't win scenario you have as a, as a director of a room, what what is the decision-making process on which way to go? Um, try to find balance. I mean, we certainly have to out-compete or at least be competitive within our market. So we, we can't give them less of a, of a play than they could find it at a, a casino close by. But we still have to take those considerations. I mean, being in Toledo, we obviously don't have a, a, a healthy core area but we're on the way to everywhere. So when we do our tournament series, we attract people from a fairly diverse set of markets. And we have to compete with their home casinos too. Uh, some casinos like obviously uh, Hammond, uh, the Horseshoe Hammond, uh, Jack Cincinnati, they're pretty generous uh, with their tournament players as far as play and chips and time. So, I mean, that's always a consideration. So do you find yourself skewing one way all the time just so it's consistent, or do you find yourself moving back and forth to try to give everybody something at some point? Uh, we base it on, uh, on buy-in range. Okay. And So bigger buy-in, the more absolutely more play. Because the problem is that what's happened, too, with all this is the people who have suffered the most is deals. Mm -hmm. I mean, downs have right. gone to nothing yeah. across the board. Because there's just no way. I mean, when you give these people a million, you know, millions of chips and all these long levels, uh, nothing they can tip, nothing they can take out, nothing they can do is going to make the dealer's downs worth anything. And, of course, people tip less than ever, unfortunately, out there, too, because of all the buy-ins and the house breaks. So, you know, I went from dealers, you know, making downs that were very well worth their time and making a living at it to all of a sudden seeing 3 and $4 downs is not unheard right. of now. And, you know, all of a sudden now the dealers hate it. You know, and then the, you know, so everybody, someone's going to lose. There's a loser either way, or the, you know, you don't take any more rake, or you give the dealers more money, and then the casino, it's not worth their time to put this tournament on. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to for everybody to be a winner, and no side wants to understand the other other sides. I mean, let's face it, the players really don't care what the downs are. The house really doesn't care what the dealers are doing. The dealers, the dealers never understand the house needs to make money. That concept's foreign to them, <laughs> right. you know. And uh, everybody's complaining happily. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. Um, now, a variety of tournaments have declined, too. Now it seems like everything is no limit hold'em. But I want to give you a chance to plug your upcoming series because you're doing some really interesting stuff for our, our, our mixed game Absolutely. fan base here at Antioch. Um, we've been uh, spreading... Uh, what has to be a dinosaur of a poker game. We're, we're spreading a, uh, an OE game, uh, Omaha high-low and stud high-low, 6-12 with a 10-20 kill oh, a couple it. days a week, which, yeah, virtually unheard of. Yeah, I thought Cuba was in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I know, everybody rides in on the brontosaurus. <laughs> so, and these players have been asking for uh, uh, different events. So we came up with a, a short series, a three-day series, six events, two a day. Uh, of, where every event, if it's not completely high-low, at least contains mostly high-low. So there'll, uh, there's going to be a horse event. There'll be uh, Tahoe, which is a lazy pineapple, three cards, no, no discard. High-low, which it actually plays really well. There'll be a seven-card stud event. There'll be a, a POE event, a pineapple Omaha and stud eight or better. Uh, there'll be a PLO8 game. So 
these are games that rarely get spread, and if they do, you pretty much got to go to L.A. or Las Vegas during a major tournament series and buy in for mega bucks. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. these series are all going to be uh, 120 or less. Excellent. And, so we're hitting uh, our market pretty well. Someone, someone can make a very exciting weekend out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Easily. Um, and when, what weekend is this? Uh, the first weekend in January. So we'll be up against the uh, wild card weekend in the NFL, which are generally some of the worst games of the playoffs anyway. True. Absolutely. And uh, what's the website they can go to get more information? Uh, HollywoodToledo.com. Excellent. Sounds, uh, sounds like Jumbo Shrimp. That's <laughs> <laughs> more on itself. <laughs> Sorry. Um, a 100% non-smoking facility. So there you go. Anyway, yeah. I don't like that as poker players. Um, so we're talking about these games that people used to play, and we wish they played more often. Uh, one of the questions we get all the time on the show is: Is there going to be a new game that overtakes No Limit Hold'em? And that's probably ridiculous, a ridiculous question. But is there a new game out there that might nip at the heels? Well, I mean, and, and on this cruise, uh, as we always do, not. Um, not with our players, but our staff while we're waiting for games to start. We play a lot of open-faced Chinese, and then Elliot comes on and brings back old-school Chinese this time. So And we mocked him for it. <laughs> exactly. But I think Rather a lot of us thought that the Chinese was going to be that, but I, it seems to me that that game's peaked now, too. Yeah, it's, it's all, I mean, the, the thing is, the thing with No Limit is, it's simple. Yeah. You know, so, it's, you know, complexity would be really good at, but it's simple to learn, and that's the problem with any new game is, you know, yeah, you go to Vegas or you go to someone's high rooms and they're playing Badoogie and Badesi and 19 draws and run it eight times and, you know, let's find a way to chop a pot. But the average player is never going to learn that. They're never going to want to learn that. And you know, even if they dip their toe in, it's it's just not going to work. So, you know, let's face it. We're, we live in a uh, ADD life th- these days, and, and these kids are not going to do anything. You know, if you can show them something faster and simpler, maybe. But it's going to be hard to do that. You know, any faster than two cards and hang on. Right. I right. mean, Palo Manoma has been the game of the future for what twenty years now. Where's <laughs> <laughs> the future getting here? Yeah. I mean, if you I've look at the percentage that of my games, entire career. Palo Manoma has increased its table percentage in the overall market. So again, nothing, nothing's going to take hold of whether it's limit or no, or no limit now. Yeah. And if there was a game, and if there's a game more dangerous than PLO to oh. a newbie, uh, it, there I haven't seen it because. That's there the problem. Isn't. With Nolan and Holm, you still going to have new people get lucky. Holm has that aspect to it. PLO is deadly. Yeah. I mean, you get a couple of good PLO players, and they're never going to see it coming. Right. right. The variation yeah. in the game has been virtually eliminated. It's yeah. all skill, and the good players will separate the bad players from their market Very quickly. in in short order. Very quick. <laughs> um, so we, we talked at the top of the show about this being a, a call-to-floor show, and we're half an hour in <laughs> discuss that. So, uh, Elliot, you gave us your philosophy at the top of the show, but um, are there common – what's the most common floor call that you, you get now? Um, and why is it so common? Why can't we stop whatever it is? Uh, the common floor call would certainly be uh, some combination of action out of turn or – induced action out of turn due to unclear betting because for some reason uh poker players are generally libertarian and and for some reason (laughs) believe in personal responsibility except when it's their turn to play (laughs) now all of a sudden people who are natural chatterboxes and the life of the party silent as church mice when it's their turn to act (laughs) so now all of a sudden you're, you're always put in a spot where you've got to decipher things because nobody says a word and that's generally the most common and universal decision at this point Everything else pales in comparison. And that's, to that's that. definitely been exasperated by cell phones, mm-hmm. iPads, sure, headphones, yeah. internet. You know, I mean, there's more distractions than ever before, hundred times over at a poker table now. And full disclosure, I mean, 
the room I work in, like many other rooms across the world now, uh, USB charging stations at every seat and yeah. free Wi-Fi. You have to. So we're encouraging it. Well, you, you yeah. can't be competitive otherwise. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just no way you can't tell these. You can't tell people. Oh, I'm guilty of it myself. You can't tell people to be off the phone mm-hmm. or you know entertainment value. It's the ADD thing. We just yes. talked about it. It's, you know we have to be you know watching Netflix, tweeting, taking pictures of it, uh, mm-hmm. you know Snapchatting and playing poker all at the same time while listening to music. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, obviously, poker has is kind of on a downward spiral, not a spiral, I'd say, but a downward incline. Right? Sure. So, so the the USB charges, all that stuff, is is a way to keep people at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's our form of a seatbelt. It absolutely keeps them tethered to the game, which is important. Uh, I mean, casino poker only makes money if players are in the seats. Uh, less players, less action, less break. Right. I mean, just because you're getting more hands out per hour doesn't mean you're getting any useful hands being dealt. Yeah. So we got to keep the players in the table. Um, so is there any – do you have a call to floor from the past that uh, that you haven't forgotten that uh, is one that when you guys get together with your yes. other poker people, you have the to share? The funny part is, is it's virtually a non-decision, but it was easily – still my, my favorite anecdote of all time. And – they were playing Chinese poker closed. It was oh. old school. This was the side action of a World Poker Tour event uh, at the then Reno Hilton, uh, 2004. Uh, it's the few. Yeah, we're in the run-up to the main event. So it was a 5K main, which this is 5K dollars in 2004. This is not a particularly small buying event, but probably the smallest on the World Poker Tour schedule at that point. Right. Nobody had moved even to the $3,000 level yet, and we were the first ones to drop down to five to increase play. And it worked like a charm. We tripled our field, our field year over year, so it was the right way to go. So anyway, all the big players are in town, and they decide to get a Chinese poker game going. It's like, okay, sure. So it's $200 a point, which for those of you out there listening, <laughs> that, that, that's a gigantic yeah, yeah. Chinese Don't poker. start at $200 a point. <laughs> start your career at much less. Exactly. So they're sitting five-handed, which was fine because the guy on the button would get dealt out. So they're paying time. And this game was set up so that they were basically all using cash. They didn't want to buy chips. Uh, not going to get into that issue. <laughs> and at that point, when you're up in the nosebleed stakes, uh, the dealer's not doing it except pushing cards to the players. Right. Uh, the, de- the players are taking care of everything else. So that's that's the setting and full exposition. Now we'll, we'll get into the, the actual story. I was uh, in charge of all the side action and... And in fact, on that day, I was also covering the, the dealer coordinator because uh, they were they had to get at least one day off a week. So I was covering the dealer coordinator that day, which for those of you who haven't run into a, a DC, uh, it's the equivalent of a construction foreman. I told all the dealers where to deal, when to take breaks, uh, told everybody where the next uh, new tables in the rotation were going to be, decide, basically decided beforehand the tournament break order so that we knew which tables were coming down. So I could direct traffic with the dealers. And in charge of that, I was in, in charge of all the side action. They gave me an assistant, <laughs> so I was okay there. But yeah, it was a lot to handle. So I'm turning the ship over to the, to the, uh, to the nighttime DC and the nighttime tournament director and the nighttime side action guy. So I'm trying to. It's basically the end of my day. It's the beginning of their day. They had us on a nice little overlap, so we can get things done. Very efficient. It was pretty well run. Anyway, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of this meeting and pointing at the roadmap and telling him what's happening and how many people he got coming in. And all of a sudden I hear floor on four, which was where the Chinese poker game was. So, like Nuke Lelouch in, in Bull Durham, I, I give it the hard shape, and I keep on talking. So then I hear it again, and I look over to my assistant, gives me the classic eye roll, and starts nodding his head, yes. And I, 
give it the old face palm. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I trudge on over to the table, and here we go. One of the players says, yeah, I'm pretty sure last – they're already playing the next hand. I'm pretty sure last hand he owes me two points. I said, really? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> two points. <laughs> so what do you expect me to do about it? Well, you're the you're in charge here. You're supposed to make the decision. I said, I got two questions for you. He goes, okay. I said, so when you guys are completed and everybody turns their hands over, who's been reading the hands? The dealer? Oh, no, no, we are. So after you guys read the hands, who's been paying out each other? Oh, no, 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 we are. So he said, now I got a question for you. <laughs> Who do you think is going to make the decision here? He goes, I don't know. I said, we are. <laughs> I walked right away. Got high fives from the neighboring table and a couple of quarter shifts. <laughs> but the deal almost fell out of his chair, kept his composure. But, yeah, it's like, folks, we weren't reading a single hand, and we weren't making a single payoff. Yeah. Which is very st standard in Chinese. Exactly. Right. Right. There's, not, there's not a high-level Chinese game anywhere where the dealer does anything but just pass out. Right. So we're done here. I'm moving on. Goodbye. <laughs> Plus, we were giving him a break on the time, and we weren't charging him L.A. or Las Vegas rates. Right. So that's it. You didn't pay me enough. We're, we're good here. <laughs> you, you bought the minimum package. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, so man. that one has gone down in history. Uh, and certainly one of my favorite non-decision anecdotes of all time. I mean, players just cracking up left and right. But it was the reality of the situation. Right. They weren't giving us a chance to actually be liable for any errors. Therefore, we're not taking their liability back. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ramsey, you've told me a million stories over the years, most of them probably not suitable for the podcast. But right, so <laughs> you yeah. have one that is suitable for the podcast? So one of my favorite decisions of all time actually happened on a cruise ship. So this is uh, for Ladbrokes Cruise. When, for those of you who didn't know, Ladbrokes uh, is a major casino company in the U.K., and for uh, they do a lot of off-site uh, sports books in, uh, in the UK. And they had a poker set for a while. So during the boom, they had all the money. And they would do these cruises where they basically spent like a million dollars out of pocket to reward a lot of their players, poker players off from their site, right. and also sports betters, gambling, casino. They owned Casino San Pablo for a, a spell, didn't they? Yeah, they have owned like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're really, really deep in at this point. So I'm hired to, um, to run the, the live site for them. And I gave my deals the same speech I gave my give my deals on every cruise since then. I don't like a lot of wild fluctuations on cruises because people have a limited amount of money. They come on a cruise for seven days. It's not like at home where they can run to ATM. They can go home. New players come in off the streets. You have a finite amount of players for a week. So I try not to let the games get too out of control. That was not going to happen with this because Labbrooks at that time had set up an employee at a table where players could withdraw from their actual online poker accounts or their casino accounts. Oh, wow. So money was bottomless. I mean, literally, guys were walking up and going, I'll take another 10000 from my, you know, from my account. Oh, and these are high-level players who had sportsbook accounts, poker accounts, yeah. gaming accounts, who had millions, some of them, hundreds of thousands for others. So the games were really wild. So I had told my dealers, and just like we still do now, you could only straddle under the gun. All right, so for those of you who are not very familiar with this, let's say in a, uh, you know, a 2-5, a $2, $5, no limit game, you can only straddle for $10 under the gun, and that's it. I told my dealers this very clearly. Now, these are European players from all over the you know, world, but mostly European, a lot of uh, you know, Dutch and, and, and Scandinavian, and wild, wild players, and unlimited funds. So I get called over for a decision. This is day two or three. This is what I walk up to. <laughs> I walk up to a table where I see a $2 blind, a $5 blind, a 10 a 20 a 40 an 80 a 160 <laughs> a 320 $640, $1280, and the only person who doesn't have money in front of him is the button. 
<laughs> so I'm trying to figure out what string of raises led to this. Wow. And I go, what is going on? And the guy quickly, very drunk, you know, goes, we've straddled it all the way to 1280, and the guy on the button won't put out the 2600 <laughs> and change. Make him do it. I go, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. I go, we're a lot of $10 straddle. How did you get to that? No, no, no. We're straddling all the way across. Everybody has to straddle. Make the guy put out the 2600 He's being a pussy about it. I, I can't make him put out $2,600. And, and these there's eight players berating the poor guy for not putting out the 2600 and change wow. straddle on the button. And I, says, and I looked at the dealers. I said, one straddle, one straddle. How did you let him get the eight? He says, I, I couldn't stop him. They just kept doing it. Uh. So this kind of implied and, and gave you an example of how that cruise went. It was a 10-day cruise. And I've never seen action. I've never in 20 plus years of the commerce, Bellagio, went, I've never seen action like that cruise. I mean, these guys, it's almost like the money did, was fake because it was for a lot of them. Yeah, it was just yeah. insane. I mean, we, we'd, you know, we'd close the room down at one point and go, all right, guys, you know, uh, two more hands and we got to wrap it up for the night. You guys want to put it all in blind? I mean, thousands. <laughs> it wasn't even like, you know, I, we're running, we're racing off the odd chip. It was like. Let's all put three thousand, run it out. This went on every, the entire week. I mean, wow. I've never seen games that wild before <laughs> and since, and you know, probably never will. But that was my favorite: is yelling at the button, telling him he needs to put in twenty six hundred, <laughs> and to stop being, you know, stop being a wimp about it. Well, not to scare any of the folks out there listening, we we do not have any kind of that money on any. We wish we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Well, any other uh, poker stories you wanna? Clue anything you guys been dying to tell the world? I would say that if you come on a cruise now and you, you know, Elliot was talking about what guides his decisions and what's always guided mine and sometimes for the worst because in big casinos they hate this philosophy, but I like to run things like a home game and not in bad ways of a home game of like, you know, sloppy and mm -hmm. goofing off and, you know, uh, I'm betting you the Porsche, I'm going to get the keys and the title and throw it <laughs> on there. But, you know, I like to do things in a very fair way, and if something makes sense and there's not – I don't like angle shooters and people using the word of – you know, the letter of the law completely to, to take advantage. I tell people this is not a court of law. You will not win on a technicality. I don't have to give you the pot ever. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so – and that's the way – and I we tell all cruise passengers, you know, the welcome aboard party, guys, this isn't headphones and hoodies and, and you know, that kind of a game. TV cameras. We yeah. have a lot of repeats. You know, like 80% of our passengers are, are – they come back. They, they come – Listen, there's only so many you know cruises you want to go on, but if you're going on to see friends and family and people you you know you've cruised with before and have a good time, it really is a home game. So we want people to have a good time. We don't want people to you know lose exorbitant amounts of money when they don't have to. Uh, our dealers are friendly. The way it's you know we want to run it. Whereas friends playing poker, not adversaries and and people getting mad at each other. And we rarely, I mean, if ever, have a problem between two players on a cruise ship, which is why it's tolerable. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's always guided my decision making process even at Bellagio or Wynn. Or, and so it's harder to apply that theory when you, when you are making a decision in a four and 8000 game, but I did anyway. And, you know, eventually the players all knew me well enough to know that we were going to do it as close as we could to the letter of the law, but not if I really think you're taking an angle. And if you're taking an angle, I don't care how big you're playing, it's maybe it's even worse if you're taking it at that limit because you should know better. Sure. So that's always been mine. Um I'm not always brushed up on the 8,000 new TDA rules a year. <laughs> We've uh, slowed down a bit. Mostly because I don't care. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't like, you know, I, there's too many rules in poker. And I know why they're put in because for every rule, there's eight guys trying to take advantage of it. But well, that's part of it. The problem is every time you put a rule into something, now you're giving them that much more gray area to take advantage of. Yes. And um, I, I felt think they're trying to overcome the fact that a, a lot of the tournament series are now having to use substandard dealers. And 
they can't afford the reinvestment in teaching these people how to deal again. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, some of these governing boards, we won't call any of them out, um, I feel like they have to keep coming up with the rules to justify their existence. So uh, you just keep adding rules. And, it's, it, you know, people complain about it in sports all the time, how certain way too many rules and way too many you know, are ruining the games. It's, fun out it's of happening it. yep. in poker to some extent, too. It's just too many. You know, the games used to police themselves. And I get that No Limit has opened up, you know, many more possibilities and therefore many more problems. But that was the other nice thing. Well, we, you know, going back full circle here to our beginning conversation, that was the other nice thing yes. about a three, six, or four eight limit game. Won a lot of shots to take. No. <laughs> I mean, and now it's like you know. And there were so many, so many less decisions to make because obviously the. There's no such thing as unclear betting. You're either right. betting one limit or you're betting the other limit. <laughs> and there's very few burning turns because well, everybody's got their bets out there. Yeah. It, and I swear half the time when I was making decisions in those games, if like if it was even if you just like, take three dollars out of the well, right. just give them, give them the three bucks back. You know, now you can't do that. The guy, I got six hundred out there. It's like I can't make it look right in any way, shape, or form. But exactly. It was, it was definitely a lot easier back then. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm for less rules. I get why they have to keep coming up with them in some aspects, but it has gotten so far out of control. Yeah, and in Oklahoma, I ran the last poker room there that didn't have a betting line. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just one more rule that we pretty much don't need. Well, and the betting line comes up all the time on the podcast because uh, now it's become – it's not just a betting line in people's minds. It's, it's, a, a, it's a folding line. It's an action line. It's a sneeze line. Uh, it's, it's a DMZ. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's been really frustrating, I think, for a lot of players. Completely. Well, and, mean, and, and so many places have the, the betting line. The table's not playing it. the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And then you have to ask, do you guys use the betting line? Nope. Just decoration on the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Happens a lot. Any parting thoughts, uh, anything you want to share that we haven't talked about? Um, I guess that uh, don't let the, the grumps in a poker room ever get you down. Don't let mm, them get one. in the way of your good time. And don't let winning every chip on the table define what a good time is. Right, right, right. I mean, there's variation in the game. You're not going to win every hand you're dealt. Don't take it out on the dealer. Don't take it out on the guy who put the beat on you. And if somebody's taking it out on you, please call the floor. Yes. We will iron these people out. If we have to, we will show them the door. We're not going to let them get in the way of your good time. Yeah, that's something we bring up on our classes all the time on here is that the, the really the cardinal rule for me is poker is supposed to be fun. We all got into this to have fun. I mean, obviously, there's money involved, so you want to win money, and that makes it more fun. But if you're not enjoying this game, why are you still playing it? If this so, is any different than going to the movies, and these days probably just cost the same, you know, you, you, <laughs> right. should, you should reconsider why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Get this notion out of your head that you're doing this for a living or you're going to beat these games. You should be doing it for fun. And if it's not and it's causing you, you know, you really should consider it. Reconsider why you're doing it. And maybe, you know, even though this kind of hurts poker games across the board, maybe consider how much you're doing it too. Yeah. Because realistically, you're not going to have fun when you're, when you're somewhere five, six nights a week. That's, that's a job. There's no well, way that can still Or be remember, too, that help make it more fun. By right. like, as Ellie said, I mean, call the floor, talk to the poker managers. Do, don't, our room don't is, let is the that... equivalent of, of a Cheers bar. I mean, we have yeah. very regular players who are quite friendly, and they come in four or five days a week. It's the two or three-day player week that's a complete grouch and a complete angle shooter. And, and, yeah. and intentionally making the game not fun or intentionally annoying people, super tanking. Yeah. Call the floor. We'll, I, we'll, we'll find ways to eliminate the problem. This way you can, you can continue to have fun. I had a, I, just a quick story about, you know, I had a female I was playing with in a small limit game, 2-4 limit, you know, Green Valley Ranch Casino or something years ago. 
playing heavy hand, having a great time. And this is a woman who probably made three, four hundred thousand dollars a year or so, very well within her income, didn't care, and flips over, you know, something like deuce six or deuce seven, wins a huge pot. And one of the guys at the other end table, and especially she's a woman, how the hell do you play that? And she says, because it was only two dollars. <laughs> it was the greatest answer. It made perfect sense because to her, that's all it was. It was two dollars, and it didn't mean anything. Or she was having a great time. Yeah. And yeah. this guy couldn't understand how she can. You're gonna lose playing like that. And she's like, yeah, but I will only lose two dollars. What difference does it make? <laughs> And that's what people don't seem to understand. While that seems silly, she was absolutely right. She was playing at stakes she can easily right. afford and was having a great time. And if she didn't win the pot, she didn't care. Right. You know, so keep that in mind. I mean, you know, play for fun. Yes, keep it fun. All right, well, thank you all. Uh, we'll be back next week with our regular show with uh, Chris on it. Uh, but I want to thank uh, Ramsey Solman. Uh, check out thescarliver.com. Go down to Cuba. Have a wonderful time. I've been down there a couple of times. Enjoy it every time. And thank Elliot Schechter uh, from Hollywood Casino Toledo. Check that out on the web and go have fun at that series. I wish I could make it there for we'll that. We'll do a package deal. Come to my van and then I'll send you to Toledo, Ohio right after <laughs> yep. the, Hollywood, the Hollywood Split Pot Poker Series. July 5th, 6th, uh, January 5th, 6th, and 7th. Talk about two cities uh, completely different from each other. <laughs> you mean Toledo, Ohio? <laughs> uh, but thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot and uh, we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.